Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld welcoming you to another edition of Rob Observations. Rob Observations, where we look at the world of comic books and the movies, the streaming, the TV, the cartoons, the anime, all, all of that that has sprung from or has somehow find their way into the pages of comic books. From comics into comics, it doesn't matter. We've all consumed it, consuming it in the middle of consuming it. Uh, and, and I look at it through the lens of uh, my entire life absorbing and, as I've often told you guys, consuming this. Got a great show for you today, one that is long overdue um, from my estimation. But the first thing that I want to get to is a great encounter I had last week at the New York Comic Con. I was um, fortunate to be part of this amazing four-day event that I mentioned to you in recent podcasts Uh the, the biggest show in North America in the last two years, over 160,000 people over four days, tons of great enthusiasm. Everybody was taking all the safety precaution measures that you could possibly imagine. You had to have a vaccine to get in. Uh, that's not political um, coming from me. Those are the rules that were established in order to attend. Having been vaccinated, it was not a problem uh, for me. And clearly it wasn't a problem for the 160,000 people that came through the doors over those four days. And the vendors... Everybody, and also everybody had to wear masks. I think that was the one thing that maybe uh, was probably going to be the biggest hill for me to climb because I just, I don't like masks and I don't wear them uh, a ton here in Orange County, California. A lot of stuff is outdoors and I'm in, I'm in, I'm in my house all, all day long, but the mask stuff wasn't a big problem. I mean, we wore it on the train to Connecticut to visit our son. We wore it in restaurants when we needed to. We wore it in the convention center during that period of time. So it was a great time. Again, a great shout out. Congratulations to everybody at the New York Comic Con for pulling off what just an amazing, amazing comeback show. An amazing comeback show. I'm, I'm sure that the show will continue to expand. One thing, they added the entire wing. Uh, Artist Alley was shut down for a couple of years as they were building a brand new wing uh, to, to build out and expand the Javits Center. Well, that wing is completed. Um, most of the panels were in the new wing, and it was just fantastic. So uh, sleek and new and fresh. And so more space for the show will be unveiled. Uh, Artist Alley, I think, will be finally moved into its new permanent residence. Don't quote me on that, but that's what I was told. But along the way, after uh, Friday's show, after Friday's New York Comic Con, I had uh, stayed you know, throughout the, throughout the evening. And I, uh, got back to my hotel room around, you know, between 6.30, 7, 7 PM. My wife was coming back from her adventures in New York city, uh, with some friends. And we both arrived back at the hotel at the same time. We went up to our room and, you know, not a major gripe, but you don't get to this story without this happening. Our room has not been, uh, clean since we left it at the 10 AM hour. Now our our privacy wasn't on. There was no, you know, whatever. It was uh, just a, a oversight. And this is a swanky, cool, nice hotel that I will not name. And uh, we called downstairs and said, hey, can we get our room clean? You know, it's been a long day. My wife's been out and about. I have been working the show and I'm tired. I just want to, um, you know, I just want to collapse and, and at least grab a nap on, a, on, a, on, a, on, on, a, on the clean bed or, you know, just whatever. So we call and ask if they'll come and clean our room. No big deal. They're happy to do it. But you can't be in the room during these times. You have to exit the room. So we uh, uh, were, were uh, knocked on the door. The, our, our cleaning uh, person was there and we exited. And in on the floor that we were on, there was a cool 
um, bougie, I'll call it stoop, uh, you know, nicer than a bench. So I'm calling it a stoop had leather, you know, uh, uh, pads and pillows. And, and, and so we decided we would just sit there outside facing the elevators while, um, while they clean the room. Well, lo and behold, who walks right by us is none other than the man of the hour, the man who has captivated all the headlines this week, but William Shatner, Captain Kirk, TJ Hooker, William Shatner himself. I had seen William in the green room earlier that day at the con. I had waved and said hi to him. I, I traveled to Saudi Arabia in November of 2019, right before what felt like right before the pandemic. And we did a huge show over in Saudi Arabia. So I have seen uh, William many times over the years. But uh, William came. Now, we, now, again, in the hallway, you, ha- you are supposed to have your mask on. So Joy, my wife, has her mask on while we sit on the stoop. I have my mask on. And Shatner walks by with his mask on. And he uh, walks by and we scoot over so that he also may sit on the stoop because that's where he's headed. And he looks over and he says... Is that your phone? Let me try it again. Is that your phone? Uh, I'm, I'm not going to do a great Shatner, but that's how, that's exactly what was said to us. And my wife's phone was plugged into the first outlet coming out of the hallway right around the corner of the stoop. And she had the cord and the, the phone was setting up against the pillar. And so, you know, Bill Shatner said, is that your, is that your phone? And my wife said, yeah, yeah. And we said, yeah, yeah. She, she's charging it. They, they, um, we're waiting out here because they didn't clean our room. And he goes, they didn't clean mine either. They didn't. They didn't clean mine either. He was he was exasperated. He's like, "What's going on?" I mean, down he said uh, something like a you know, luxury downtown New York Manhattan hotel. He sits down next to us, and I, we, we said, "Did you call down?" He was like, "Yeah, I I, I called I, call, I called down to have him clean it." So Bill Shatner is sitting on the stoop with my wife and myself, and I leaned over to him with total unbridled enthusiasm. I said, William, congratulations, congratulations. Uh, for what? For you, for going to space. You're going to space in a couple days. Well, they haven't brought me back yet. And I, we thought that was so funny. He goes, congratulate me when they bring me back. They haven't brought me back yet. And I thought that was the funniest thing. Super on his toes. Bill Shatner. And uh, I, I then informed him that I saw a buddy of his who had been uh, in the green room wandering right before we got to the stoop. And uh, I, I said, I think that's that's your manager. And he goes, he's not my manager. He's just a man. <laughs> he's just a man. And we said, uh, we said, all right, well, um, he goes, I, I, I'm going to go check in with him. And then he turned around. And he said, lovely, lovely seeing you. I said, great, congratulations again. They've got to bring me back. So so it was, he turned around and walked away. Uh, we meet in the hotel, on the stoop, in front of the elevators, because neither of our bougie rooms had been cleaned. And uh, and and uh, Bill then emerged with his, just a man. He's, <laughs> he's not my manager. He's just a man. Um and and he the, the the guy that I had identified they were um, heading down the elevator. That's when we saw him again about two minutes later as we waited on our room. 
But I just thought it was so funny. And when he got on the elevator and he went down, my wife said, oh my gosh, how old is he? I said, he's 90. I said, he's you know the oldest guy going into space. And she goes, he seems younger than both our parents. Our, um, our parents are both in their 80s, 70s, late 70s, early 80s. And uh, truth be told, Bill is spryer than um, either and most, most 80 something people you're going to meet. And, uh, you know, watching him go to space, get off the spaceship, hug Bezos, say all the things he said. Again, my wife watched yesterday and she goes, I just can't get over how spry he is and how, how, how spry he was. Um, I'm like, yeah, he carries himself really, really young. He's got great youthful vigor. So awesome. That was a great encounter with William Shatner. We had the best time. We are so thrilled that our, um, that everybody's favorite captain, Captain Kirk got to uh, touch the rim of space, go into outer space, uh, look down at the earth and experience all that. That's really just fantastic and amazing. So that's my little tidbit that I wanted to share with you. <laughs> They've got to bring me back. Is that your phone? Oh, he's so great. He's so great. So anyway, kudos to you, Bill Shatner, William Shatner. You're the best. Um, so glad you you they brought you back. So now we can, in fact, congratulate you because you said they had to bring you back in order to be congratulated, and they did, and so we're very excited. He was heading out, he told us. He did tell us that he was heading out early on Saturday, so I think he had wrapped most of his obligations. Maybe he did a morning signing at the show. I'm not I'm not really aware. Uh, it was great. That show, uh, mostly it was William Shatner and then a bunch of the Battlestar Galactica cast were filling in uh, for, I think, the sci-fi genre kind of slots that we've all come to love and respect, and whether it's um, Edward James Olmos or, you know, the rest of them, uh, love that show as well, so that they had a strong showing. Great show, that comeback show in New York. Again, I'll continue buzzing off it for a while. But there's one thing that that show showed me um, more than anything else, and that is the topic of today's show is the 90s are striking back in the biggest possible way, Okay. The week prior to New York Comic Con, uh, the uh, Venom 2 sequel came out. Hot on the heels of Venom 1, which came out two years prior. And uh, both movies scored tremendously. Huge hits. I think domestically, both of the Venoms did in the 200 or are heading. I, I, the first one did 200. Feels like the second one will, 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 will get to 200 million. But the second one actually opened bigger than the first one in a pandemic, with people scared, re- reserved to go to theaters, um, you know, I mean, but it was the only option. It was the only way to actually get to see Venom was to go to the theater. It's not that they, um, coming from Sony, don't have the platform mix uh, option menu that HBO and Disney are currently employing. Sometimes I know Amazon is, is doing that as well. I think Apple is going to do more of it in the future. If you wanted to see Venom 2, you had to go to a theater. It broke the first opening records. I'm not sure if it'll get there for all the reasons I just shared with you. If it's not a pandemic, maybe it's even, maybe it opens even bigger. Maybe it's, you know, uh, I think it's, you know, safe to assume these movies do drop. They open big and then they drop. So I'm not sure about the final tally. That speaks more to word of mouth. That speaks more to enthusiasm. Something that Shang-Chi had in spades. People loved it. They shared it. They talked about it. They told others. They, 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 everybody was sharing the vibes 
on on Shang Chi and really wanted to get out in and, and see that movie. So I'm not sure where Venom Two would land, but it opened bigger, and uh, I think the holes are pretty decent. But Venom is a is symbolic of the '90s. He is something that we associate with the '90s. We associate him with Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson, Mark Bagley, David Michelinie, everybody along the way. Carnage as the featured player in the sequel, played by Woody Harrelson. Eric Larson was the co-creator of uh, uh, Cassidy, uh, Cletus Cassidy, and and then and then the full Carnage visage came forth with Mark Bagley, both working alongside David Michelinie. And then you've got the Venom stuff, and we covered this Venom feud uh, an episode back as everybody's grabbing uh, and, and has their opinions on how that came about. We were not in the room where it happened. I'll just continue to reiterate that. I will report on stuff that's out there, but just like other feuds that I talk about, I wasn't there for the John Byrne, Chris Claremont feud. I don't know what the final switch, the trigger, the, the point of no return was. I can just tell you from the snippets that I grab, from the X-Men Companion, the comic book interviews, the comic, you know, comic scene, comic interview, Amazing Heroes, Comics mm-hmm. Journal, all the ways these guys talked and chatted and shared. You put together your the, the pieces of what, what went wrong, how it how it frayed. On the Venom credit stuff, again, that that episode, no sides were taken, just arguments were presented. That's all we can do as we enjoy the feuds, because the feuds are fun. Feuds are fun. I mean, I won't touch on it because <laughs> That's a whole nother can, but uh, just yesterday, the 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 Rock, I think, uh, and maybe it was Vanity Fair, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, was interviewed, and he reignited a longstanding feud with his um, Fast and the Furious co-star, Vin Diesel, and these guys have been going back at it for, for almost five years now, and uh, a, a real kind of, uh, there, there, there's some tension simmering under there. They both laugh it off. As they land Haymaker and Haymaker and insult each other, but feuds, feuds, they they draw us in. Paul McCartney is still arguing about who broke up the Beatles and and uh, you know uh, put it all on Jen, John Lennon this last week in an interview. I mean, feuds, conflicts, they 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 they. I, I would be lying if I told you that they do not drive my interest. I'm interested in them as well because they kind of review an honesty. It's where people they let their hair down a little. It's fun, but Venom, nonetheless. Carnage, Venom were the key players in Venom 2. And it was a huge deal. And Carnage is even more, I mean, in the throes of the 90s than Venom. I mean, they're both symbolic. The guy doing this podcast, the guy you're listening to right now, gave you 90s uh, Titans in 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 Deadpool, in Cable, in Youngblood, in Prophet. Um, my peers and myself are also symbols of the 90s to most everybody. And you know what? For the longest time, people wanted to ridicule that. There are guys in the business that wanted to ridicule that. Uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Brian Bendis did a comic book in the late 90s. Uh, name escapes me at this time. But it chronicled his adventures trying to break in. And he took shots at all of us. Eventually, he went to work for Todd. But in this uh, in this book that I believe he wrote and drew, he takes shots at the '90s guys along the way. And, and I'm going to tell you, when the 2000s came, there was 
a lot of the guys who were frustrated by the guys in the 90s because they couldn't either jump past them, get by them, get through them, they then kind of took their licks. I've covered this. Um, it was the new regime that took over Marvel in 2000. But there, there's lots of cause and effect that goes into that. I was a participant as well as an observer. In the 90s, I was part of it. I was fueling it. I was part of the fuel. Uh, when you buy the omnibus that Marvel has... Um, Marvel published, they have a, they have a series they do called the firsts, the first and in the nineties first Deadpool is on the spine. Deadpool and cable, uh, are featured throughout, um, uh, the, the, this omnibus alongside again, Venom, Darkhawk, other staples of the nineties, uh, Deadpool, cable, X-Force, Venom were among the best selling, most, um, prominent nineties carnage. Um, icons, and they continue to this day. Because you who love them were 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. That's a wide range. You guys hear me just wax on poetically with super, you know, extra helpings of nostalgia when I talk about my era growing up in the 70s. And the 70s was a very exciting era and so many new characters came of age in the, in the 70s. I'll, I'll name a few. Killraven, Luke Cage, Power Man, Iron Fist, Wolverine, the new X-Men, um, you know, j- j- just to name a few, Black Lightning, okay, uh, Black Goliath, the, 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 uh, the Ghost Rider, okay, so many characters came at us in the 70s, just Moon Knight, okay, uh, the Eternals, we we were just being thrown all these new characters. It, it was this throw it all against the wall, see what sticks. Marvel was looking to diversify. They got into lots of sword and sorcery, as we've covered in so many sword and sorcery and fantasy podcasts, and how Conan really turned a corner for them. Star Wars was born in, born in the seventies. We got to know Luke Skywalker, Han Solo. Obviously, that was cinematically, but their comic book adventures expanded. Uh, Boba Fett was introduced in the 70s in the Christmas cartoon that they'll never show again in a killer animated clip and as well as, you know, following up uh, a, uh, a a toy that was highly sought after. That, that hit before Empire Strikes Back hit in the summer in May of 1980. You know, again, if you came out in 79, you're still in the 70s. You came out in 78, obviously the 70s. Ms. Marvel, you know, Carol Danvers um, may be straddling 68, 69, 70, but, but her becoming Ms. Marvel, uh, Spider-Woman, so many exciting characters. That's, it's, it's an era that just never fails to excite me. And um, so much of it was the X-Men who broke out and took their throne, took the throne, took the crown, took the scepter as the um, biggest, baddest, uh, you know, champions of, of comic books. Then the 80s, uh, there was still new characters, but it was more event management. And certainly there was talent breakout. You had Elektra, you had Beta Ray Bill. The 80s is not without its giant portfolio, Watchmen. It all depends on when you get in. It all depends on when you broke in. But the 90s, I tell people when I go and I talk about my portfolio, my my extreme catalog, my extreme uh, comics, image comics catalog, Titles like Prophet, Brigade, Bloodstrike, all this stuff. Um, 
the uh, the the deal is that that uh, when I talk about that, uh, that that period, here's the phrase I use, and it is unequivocally, without um, any question, these are the facts. There are guys, and, and earlier this summer, a very sad writer um, tried to, um, you know, argue that the millions of copies sold of not only Todd Spider-Man, My X-Force, Jim Lee's X-Men, all the image launches, that those somehow were not true numbers. And he used some rank uh, 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 article on some, some you know, site as his as his fact rather than the royalty statements and the historical facts and the figures i'm going to tell you guys at my panels in new york at my um signings at new york so many of you guys cite this podcast it thrills me it makes me smile and you tell me you're so excited when i read out of the books x-men companion those are out of print they've been out of print forever that doesn't mean that the interviews and the information that's 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 inside of them does not um it uh, is not factual um, the rankings, the distributor numbers, the reports, the royalty statements, the contracts. This is, these are truths. And when I read them line by line to you, those are, you know, those are part of historical data and they matter and they cannot be disputed. When a sad writer who, who works for Marvel goes on and undermines Marvel's own achievement, it baffles my mind. It says X-Force didn't sell 5 million. Spider-Man didn't sell 3 million. These are ridiculous notions. Um, I can tell you, the first year that we published uh, Image Comics and Youngblood, which launched Image Comics, was the face of Image Comics, which sat alone for Image Comics for three months because the others were so scared to step out on their own because they didn't want to be part of some failure and they wanted some. they wanted to keep the big success moving, which is why they danced and, and Todd McFarlane prior to committing to Spawn, um, not only tried to start a trading card company, he also tried to get a Batman launch because he thought that's where the big sexy lies. So much of it is one is, is people hunting the big sexy. <clears throat> the big flashy move, the one that will continue to, uh, to, to, to contribute to the seat of power that, that hopefully you are in, in your mind trying to build for yourself. And everyone's trying to build that. <clears throat> if they can, they are. And uh, and 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 Youngblood was out on its own. And the reason I bring that up is Malibu Comics was the distributor of Image Comics in its first year. We took the publishing rights away from them at the end of the first year and started our own publishing division, worked with the distributor directly. But kind of to help us learn to run and get baby steps under our, you know, you know, under our feet. And, and, and learn to walk strong. We had partnered with a local uh, small press publisher, Malibu Comics, which had not had a lot of success outside of a limited amount of black and white comics that they were publishing. And you can say, you know, Rob, is that true? That is 100% true. Nothing what I just said, nothing of what I just told you rings false at all. They were doing black and white, mostly black and white comic books, some licensed material, a little creator-owned, but they were a small-time operation. I championed them. I won my showcase with them. Um, had Todd won his argument, we would have been publishing at Dark Horse, whose offices were down the street from him. 
Uh, I am so thankful to this day that I won that showdown. I think Image is different if it launches through Dark Horse and, and is with Mike Richardson. Um, but but because Valentino was in Southern California and Jim Lee was in Southern California and Mark Silvestri was in Southern California, I hope that I think that swayed the argument. And uh, in the showdown between let's go to Dark Horse and let's go to Malibu, um, I absolutely won that showcase. They had their fortunes turned around just by getting 10% of our books from distributing them. They got 10% of our comics. Uh, That's what we gave Malibu to start to distribute our label. They were a distribution network for our label to Diamond. So they handled it. They received millions of orders. They shipped uh, volumes of comics that they have never ever experienced before or since they used the money that we gave them from their percentage of handling our solicitation and some of our promotions. They used that to launch quickly right after two different imprints. Uh, <clears throat> remember the glorified bravura. What is bravura? I did that episode about a year ago. <clears throat> All the different imprints that followed, um, followed image comics but they also financed the Ultraverse with the proceeds that they made off our books. So you cannot sit and <clears throat> the sad writer that sits and says, these books didn't sell in millions. We'll tell that to the companies that were cashing those checks and dining out on just 10% of what we were bringing in. Again, I have the, I have the royalty stubs. I have the checks that I received from X-Force. X-Force 2 sold 1.4 million copies, Okay. We, we dine out and we talk about X-Force selling 5 million. X-Force 2, you know, sold between 1.4, it was, 1.6. It was a huge number. That's what the drop-off from 5 million looks like. That's when you just... No, X-Force 2 didn't come with any bells and whistles. It was just a comic book. You guys fueled that. X-Force 2 featured the first appearance of Kane, another member of the Weapon X program. Weapon, uh, Weapon kind of 11. Uh... You got you got more of a showcase on Deadpool. We we were building out um, the six pack at the time, uh, as you got to know more of uh, of Bridge and his team, and we just kept giving you new characters in the fa- in, in in the pages of X Force. But these books sold so phenomenally well, and then Image Comics exceeded all of our expectations, and Image Comics sold. Uh, in, in, in the millions, blowing us away. And, and in the process, uh, again, that, that we put asses in the seats. People were showing up at the stores in droves, grabbing these books. But they were collecting them. I, I don't care. They're collecting them right now. You can't throw that they're collecting them when two of the biggest retailers in the business have, re- have written uh, newsletters, in the last week, seven days from when I'm recording to you right now, talking about how important collectability is right now in our marketplace. I had somebody tell me, somebody very important, somebody high up, somebody I won't name, that had this market, had the had the, the CGC slabbing uh, marketplace grading existed in the 90s, we would have never died out. There was this idea and, and social media and these live sales and direct to consumer, which is achieved through social media, through Facebook live sales, through Instagram live sales, through Twitter. Now it's what, what not this, this app that is blowing up. 
had we had two things, the grading system as well as the straight-to-consumer, we would never have experienced the lull that we did in the late 90s when overstock was killing these companies. They would have had means with which to reach you that did not already exist. And they could go into your home in Kansas or in Idaho or in Iowa or, or in Illinois, because let's just stick with all the I states, <clears throat> and, uh, and they could have sold directly to you. That's how it happened in the pandemic. Stores were closed. It was the closest thing to a complete meltdown uh, of comic books that we had seen on par with the 90s. Stores were actually unable to open their stores and let people in. So people took to the airwaves. I did a couple of Instagram live sales. I got my stuff straight direct to consumer. We moved numbers that I had not seen ever, period, okay? So many orders to ship. Envelopes, supplies. I've never seen tape and boxes in such demand. Uh, that That is when this all started back in April of 2020. The, the realization that people are still going to, that they have, a, they have a hunger for this. My handyman, no less, sweet guy, 20 years on me, was fixing one of our lamps, our, our, our overhead lamps with the with the fan. And about May of 2020, asked me how, how the business was doing. I said it was doing great. And at this point, I'm, 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 I'm drawing snake eyes. I'm doing some live stuff. I'm, I'm talking to you guys direct through social media. And he goes, people are rediscovering their passions. They're rediscovering their passions, their, 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 uh, their comfort food from their youth. And he said, this, this guy who's in his 70s, my friends have re-engaged in stamp collecting and coin collecting in a way that they never did before. That is a, a component. Those are components of the collectible market. Well, you better believe that the comic collectors were doing the same thing. When he told me that, it really clicked. We were scared in April. In March, in April, in May of 2020, we didn't know what the future looked like. We were all terrified in our homes. The, the news was new. It was just doom and gloom 24-7. So what people did is they, they turned inwards to what they loved and they went out and found what they loved. And some of those people who did 10 shows a year and flew to 10 shows a year, and some of you guys, I know you guys, you're the big dogs. You're the big, what we call the, he the high rollers. We see you at Chicago. We see you at New York City. We see you at San Diego. We see you at Emerald City. We see you at WonderCon. There are high rollers out there. I've been to their suites. I've signed their books. They, ha they have witnesses in the hotel room. They eat at the finest five-star restaurants. They travel first class. They buy the highest grade possible books they can. And they buy them in volume. And they buy signatures. And sometimes they buy artwork and sometimes they buy, buy remarks and sometimes they buy sketches. Does this sound familiar to you? Is this the stuff that you're participating in when you're on the floor of the, of the convention? Because so much of that is what's happening right now on the convention floor and has been for the last several years because we have really focused and refined collectability. So those fat cats, those high rollers, they weren't able to travel in 2020, in 2021, let that sink in. Let that data happen to you. The thousands and thousands, the hundreds of thousands of dollars that they would put out and put forth in their first-class tickets, their suites, in their five-star hotels, with their five-star restaurants, with their big expensive uh, appetites at these shows, they were locked down. The billionaires and the um, everybody in between, from the lowest on the econ economic scale to the hot scale to the highest on the economic scale, were unable to travel. That didn't change. That you, All the money in the world didn't open the doors to Italy to you or to Europe. And the doors to America didn't open for them. 
One guy at New York Comic Con this past week said, oh man, I miss the big buyers from Europe. They would have made the show for me. I miss the big buyers. Those guys, they, they, they spend big, okay? That is the prevailing notion and the stuff that the, that the big retailers, the big vendors, whether it's art collectors or, or the, the guys with the high-end books, they feel it. This money stayed home. It stayed behind a computer screen. They bought direct from, from consumer because all that money that they were used to spending, they couldn't, but they wanted to feed their desire, and they did. And the industry has not looked back since. And, and had we had those same components in the 90s, I do agree. When this was presented to me, it was a revelation. I love having super smart friends in this business. And when they say to me, this would never have happened. There were two, there's, the reason the crash happened is because the inventory was locked to people walking into stores. Mail order was very limited and there obviously was no iPhone, no internet. There was no internet sales in 1994, 95. The, the, the chat rooms started to be a, a part of the, the culture and the thing in 1996. That's when um, CompuServe and its myriad of chat rooms and opinions started. And that's nothing, nothing compared to what we're seeing in regards to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and, and whatnot and TikTok that we do right now. So the 90s, um, even though we are resurgent right now, we have never put more asses in the seats than we did in the 90s. And so when I pitch Extreme and image and the, 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 the image catalog, and you guys have seen, I've shared, right here on this show, I've categorically shown you where it was printed in Diamond, that the second most successful family of comics in the, in the business in 1994 was the Extreme family of titles. We outsold the Spider-Man, the Batman, the Superman family. The only family above us and by a fraction, was the X-Men family. And what I say to people is, when comic books sold the best, we sold the most. That is indisputable. You may not like hearing it because you're a hater. But the people who I am reaching out and, and you hear me and, and I see you at the shows, you were 11, you were 12, you were 13, and you tell me how much you love Youngblood and Spawn and Cyberforce and Shadowhawk and Savage Dragon as much as you loved X-Force and Spider-Man and Venom. You were a kid, you were consuming, it, it was that exact same echo of the 70s because the guys that grew up on those books were now giving you tons of new characters just like we experienced Luke Cage and Iron Fist and, 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 uh, and, and Ghost Rider and Black Goliath and Black Lightning and Wolverine and Storm and Banshee and Colossus. It was our time to trot out our characters, our ideas. It was a time for idea guys, okay? And we brought them out and you guys ate them up. You loved them. And again, speaking to the collectability, I bought X-Men when Byrne and Claremont were in their heyday and I bought three copies. I just wanted extra copies in case I ruined mine or I wore out my reader copy. Is that collectability or, or is that being obsessed and, and, and consuming? I guess it fits into both categories. One doesn't isolate the other. The 90s, kids have grown up. They're doctors, they're lawyers, they're successful businessmen. And they are spending money. They're spending. It's follow the money. They are the age advertisers crave. There's a fictional show I watch, and it's called The Morning Show. It stars Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon, and it's fantastic. I, I have been, I have grew up 
and still to this day watch morning shows every day when I draw. Good Morning America has been my jam. I appeared on Good Morning America. It was like a bucket list. was interviewed by Joan London and Charlie Gibson, and it was so much fun in the 90s. I, I have always, and I told them on air that time, I said, I draw to the show. But the inner, you know, the inner, uh, the, 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 the talent uh, uh, battles and, and, and the, uh, the politics, the office politics behind the scenes, who gets what on air, who gets paid what. So this show uh, is based on a book that was written by a guy who did a bunch of research and did a book called Top of the Morning which reported on the morning show wars. The morning show wars are maybe not important to you at all, but they drive more money into the networks than any other component. The news divisions, especially the morning shows, which now are three to four hour commitments. The Today Show, four hours. You know, Good Morning America, three hours. Those drive a ton of dollars. They, they sell you cars. They sell you jewelry. They sell you high-end items because the audience that they want to reach is those eyeballs are the most valuable and it outlines it in top of the morning, which again, that author is a co-producer on the morning show, which takes some of its storylines from the Matt Lauer, Katie Couric, Diane Sawyer, all the morning show battles, uh, to get to be number one in the ratings. And, uh, GMA was behind good morning. America was behind the today show for 20 years. And then in 2014, Good Morning America took over and they've been number one ever since. And they're going to try and make it an entire decade. But right now, I think it's seven years that they have had the most eyeballs. But sometimes they don't have the most advertisers. Um, they don't have the they, they don't have the age that the advertisers crave, crave. The demo, the all-important demo, the demo. The 90s kids that we're in now are part of the demo. On last week's The Morning Show, uh, the new executive producer on the show is um, the ad executive for the network catches up and says, Hey, this new talent you brought back, this, this talent that we brought back to the show has, uh, brought these buyers who haven't bought spots on our show in the last year. And it's like, so what you're doing is working. We're getting the, 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 the advertisers see that the eyeballs are back on our show, this fictional show in this morning show that I watch. But they wanted to go out of the way to say, that's a stamp of approval. As everyone's fighting for their job, the money is following this, bringing this aging actress, Jennifer Aniston, playing this aging newswoman who peaked in the 90s, being bringing her back to the show is, is a resurgence. That is an echo of what is going on right now in the comics industry. Deadpool. Venom, both Deadpool movies did $300 million in the United States. Both Venom movies did $200 million in the United States, okay? Uh, two Deadpools, two Venoms. Venom had Carnage. Deadpool 2 had X-Force, Cable, Domino, okay? Uh, last week, Profit was announced. Jake Gyllenhaal, Sam Hargrave, one of the best action directors um, on the circuit right now. One of the greatest actors of his generation, if not the greatest actor of his generation. From a script from Mark Guggenheim. For, are, are, are committed to bringing profit, which debuted in Youngblood number two, which sold a million copies, went on to be in Youngblood number three, number four, number five, got his own series, sold 850,000 copies. By by Youngblood five, we were still selling 600, 700,000 copies. The sales were just exploding. We did a, tra a, a profit trading card set. 
We did profit action figures. Profit was a big giant product of the 90s, but he's been underserved. Spawn, you guys want Spawn in the worst way. Todd has been telling you that Spawn is coming. When Spawn comes, you guys are going to line up. You guys are going to be there. There is no doubt in my mind. The Image Comics universe is one of the most exciting times to you who loved it, who are the buyers now. You are in the prime of your earning power. When you, If you were 13 and it's 30 years later, you're 43. Boom, there's the math, okay? If you were 10, boom, you're 40, okay? Your, your feet are per- firmly planted. You've gone through your education. You've gone through your different waves. My son is graduating college in a few months in, in June. He is taking job offers right now. He's just, you know, he's, it's all built to this. That first job offer, that first um, um, experience in the private sector, it's exciting. It's also scary. And I'm excited for him to get that 10 years behind him, okay, and get it, find his feet. And maybe along the way, he goes back to school. Maybe he goes and gets a higher degree. Um, maybe he, he immediately goes and gets his master's. It's, it's that once you graduate, you guys know there's that period. And so once you get 15, 20, 30 years out, you've established your kids, you're growing up there. Some of you I met when you had small kids, when my kids were in their, you know, going to junior high, and now you've got teenagers. And now you see what it's like. And as my kids exit college years are going into it, because I'm the youngest of the image guys. I looked up today. I mean, Todd is uh, 60 this year. Mark is 65. Jim Valentino is 70. Eric Larson, I think, is 59. Jim Lee is 59. Um, I turned 54. 54 is freaking old. But I'm the baby, okay? I, I, I'm the baby of the group. So so now that I may have misread everyone's ages, I uh, I should kind of go check and see if, if I knew what I was talking about. So, so join me as I uh, look to my good friend Google and see uh, how... Todd is 60 right now, okay? Next year, he's 61. So I was right on the money there, okay? So let's go. Eric Larson. Let's see. I called you 59, and I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm on like a game show. And the truth is, he's, he's 59 in December. So off by a little bit. Sorry, Eric. You're 58 right now as of this recording. December 8th, Eric is 59 years old. Mark Silvestri, what the hell did I say? How old did I say you were? Holy crap. Did I say you were 69? Ha, sorry, 64. (laughs) You will be 64 in March. So Mark Silvestri, currently 63 years old. Jim Valentino, did I say you were in your 70s? I I, I just, my, my, I just, I got to get this right. Okay, so, so Jim Valentino. Jim Valentino is, work with me, people. He, oh, he'll be 69 next week. Okay, so Jim Valentino, 69. Nobody is 70 yet, all right? Bad Rob, bad Rob. But 69 is 15 years older than me. Is that right? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, 64 is a decade. You know, six years is Todd. Uh, you know what? What the heck? Let's, let's figure out what Jim is. I didn't say, I, did, I didn't do Jim. So let's do Jim. Let's do Jim. Bottom line is, I was the baby, okay? I was the baby of the bunch by, I mean, the minimum here. So, uh, Jim, uh, 58 years old, this says. So, so, so I am, uh, 
basically an entire freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. I always, I always kind of do things in where you, an entire high school ahead of me. Yes, uh, in, in, you know, in, in Mark's case, he was two full cycles in high school plus two years. Uh, Eric Larson, full cycle plus a year. Todd, you know, um, full cycle plus two. Jim Lee, full cycle. So 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 you guys were, were, were similar in age. And, and, I, and I see some of you guys and, and you tell me your passion for these books, for Profit, for Brigade, for Bloodstrike, and, and for Evangeline, for Glory. And I'm going to tell you, I've been telling everybody that when an Image Comics movie gets made, it is going to be a religious experience, a good one. I do not count the 97 Spawn movie. It is too far back. Um, I, I just, it, it's not of a, it's of a time. It's of a different time. Um, and, and the creation of that film in and of itself is, is its own manner of batshit crazy because it was two guys who had never directed anything before. And, uh, one of the guys is on the movies that made us about Jurassic Park. His name's Spaz and Todd used to say, Spaz, it's Spaz. And, uh, a guy is, uh, he's an interesting guy. And, uh, there were cool parts in that film that, that cape and that CGI in that cape was pretty, pretty state of the art, but there was, um, just some some other crazy stuff in there. But the new age, this new age, because now people's, um, you know, we don't really, my kids, I don't think, despite my best efforts, have seen uh, the the anything beyond the original Keaton Batman. They haven't seen the sequel with DeVito and Pfeiffer, uh, uh, with Catwoman, Penguin. They, they certainly did not see Val Kilmer. They did not see George Clooney. Uh, their Batman is Christian Bale, or is it Ben Affleck? And it's about to be Robert Pattinson. And again, I say this, like in the time that Ryan Reynolds has been playing uh, Deadpool, he, he debuted as Deadpool in Wolverine Origins 2009. We have seen Christian Bale come and go. We have seen Ben Affleck come and go, and we are about to get Robert Pattinson. This is crazy. There's been three. There's McGuire exited the role. Andrew Garfield entered the Spider-Man role. And now we have Tom Holland. It is incredible when you can get a guy, I mean, like a Hugh Jackman who, who plays Wolverine for um, 17 years. Okay. Uh, that's insane. And, and really, I count the year he got hired when they were filming. So it's almost like 18 years. And like Ryan was actually filming uh, Wolverine Origins in 2008 for release in 2009. So again, you, you go, when they first put on the makeup, they put it on. It's not when we first received it it's when they were filming it i kind of you got you got to go back that, that 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 year but man you guys it's crazy um when the 90s stuff shows up it it by and large has been very successful but we now live in a different world a world that is dictated and is uh is 100% um uh you know predicated on keeping the standards of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That, that is the gold standard. And if there's an Image Comics movie that is as good as one of those, that's as good as a Winter Soldier, as good as a, as a Guardians of the Galaxy, as good as Deadpool, uh, I, I believe the audience will be just, will go nuts. And the expanded universe, and let me tell you, are there discussions for a Bloodstrike movie, a Brigade movie, an Evangeline movie? Yes, there are. Just like you didn't know and you didn't see that that profit announcement was coming. So much more is on the way. So much more. And I have been dealing with these um, 
people and when it comes time for them to investigate and look into uh, the data and, and, and the sales, again, we have the numbers. And what that means is we have the eyeballs. You were there. You bought those comics. You love those comics. Retailers, I talked to them. They are so excited because the 90s swoon. People are diving back. They are looking back. And some of this stuff that you used to think is hard, is, is easy to find is hard to get. It may be, uh, you know, regional, but you can't find Youngblood 2s in Southern California. You can't find them. They don't exist. They were scooped up when Mark Guggenheim was announced as a screenwriter a year ago. So now when you've got Sam Hargrave and Jake Gyllenhaal attached and you go and you try and find a copy of Youngblood 2, you can't find it. Um, spawn number ones are harder to find, okay? Those early image comics, even though they sold millions, it's been 30 years. Some guy may have, in frustration, thrown, thrown them in a dumpster. I don't want these anymore. You know, um, wherever they cycled through, uh, died in a fire, uh, some of them damaged in a flood, I do not know. But those great numbers, it's like anything. You bury it in the sand and it becomes a fossil and that fossil becomes more uh, uh, more valuable because there's less of it. And, and, and I'm just telling you, you guys, the 90s, the 90s are striking back. We've already got products of the 2000s, The Walking Dead, Why the Last Man, The Boys. And they're doing very well. But that was a different fan base in and of itself. The 90s and the birth of Image Comics was a religious experience. You want to know why? Because you tell me. You tell me. You. You, Rob. You, Terry. You, Mark. You, Sean. You, Jeremy. You guys tell me. Repeatedly. You, Christopher. Okay? You, Bill. You, Ray. You guys tell me. You can tell me with the exact same accuracy that I can tell you where I pulled off Giant Size X-Men number one in the liquor store on the corner of Magnolia and Broadway, you can tell me the time of day and the smell of the store when you went in to buy Youngblood 1, Youngblood 2, Youngblood 3, Brigade 1. Spawn, you guys know these things. They are ingrained. They are part of your, your experience, your youth, your excitement. When you see Super Patriot, when you see Eric Larson, you get excited. When you see Savage Dragon, um, th th that was a part of your youth that you adored the same way when I see Thundar the Barbarian, I don't like Thundar with the Barbarian because it sucks. I like Thundar with the Barbarian because it's rad and I didn't get enough. And it was the best Saturday morning cartoon I'd ever seen. And at Alex Toth, it had Jack Kirby. It came on in 1980 and it was phenomenal. It combined all of my favorite things, apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic, fantasy, sci-fi, laser swords, barbarians. It wasn't around, it wasn't around long, but it, is so resonant with me and I love it and I cherish it and I'm so excited whenever I see anything. I, I mean, I can't keep buying the cartoons, but they're really expensive standalone action figures they did for Th Thunder the Barbarian and I want them so much because of the quality that they represent and because of the excitement Thunder the Barbarian gave to me. Your Thunder the Barbarian is Image Comics. Your Giant Size X-Men number one is Image Comics and we know it. And we're coming up on 30 years and we are going to party and celebrate in a manner that you cannot even believe because it's a great time and it is a great time to remember those times. And the people who used to make fun of the 90s, they are hiding under their desks now because the 90s has taken on new, massive resonance. We'll see how Sandman does. It's, it's a product of the 90s. It's got a big giant deal. It's going to come out. I think it's on Netflix. We'll see how that does. Sin City, one of the most resonant 90s um, 
properties has had some really good outings. Hellboy, not so much. None of them can kind of get, they're, they're well-made. The first two are really well-made, but they just can't, kind of can't push past um, into, into that special blockbuster level of success. So that stuff's been out there. Bloodshot, it took it it took its chance. It's it's unfair. It came out in a, in a pandemic. I would be lying if I told you I saw it. But the results on that weren't there. So am I saying it's a guarantee? No, I'm speaking really specifically to the image early seven, the universes, the Savage Dragon universe, the Extreme universe, the Spawn universe. The thing about Wildstorm, and here's the sidebar. When Jim sold Wildstorm to DC Comics, again, he sold to a comic book company. Just like Malibu sold to a comic book company. And, the, and upon buying Malibu Marvel through those characters in a deep dungeon, vault, uh, uh, you know, in a chest somewhere and buried it, okay? Because they've never touched those characters again. When they bought Wildstorm, they wanted Jim's talent. They bought Wildstorm to get to Jim. They've done some kind of half-hearted relaunches. But the problem with the Wildstorm catalog is that the DC catalog hasn't taken its its place alongside the MCU in the way that all the executives at Warner Brothers slash AT&T slash Discovery slash whoever's going to dis- own them by the time I'm done with this envision it. They envision Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman to stand alongside the very best of the MCU and they haven't. The shock of the summer, the shock of the summer is that the Suicide Squad didn't connect better. It is ex- it is so extremely well made. I think it was a, a, a really superior James Gunn product, but it did not stick the landing. The people, the numbers, the subscribers, whether it was at home or in theaters, just were not there. I was in an empty theater. I watched in an empty theater, okay? Uh, I, I, I was shocked that this did not connect because it's so well done. But the thing is, they want the Flash and Green Lantern and Hawkman and Black Adam to shine and to take their rightful place alongside the success of Thor and the success of Doctor Strange and Spider-Man and the Avengers and Iron Man. And they're not there yet. So what they're not going to do is advance the Wildstorm stuff ahead of it. Um, If it happens, it'll be because somebody deftly completed a maneuver that they have not been able to complete for the last 20 years because that has not been the case. Wildstorm... Um, there was so much importance around Wildstorm that Jim came back with Grant Morrison and they did one issue. I am assuming that the sales in that one issue were so disappointing that Jim did not want to come back and do it because, wait for it, Batman, it's not you, it's Batman. We've talked about that here. Everybody gets to suckle on that Batman teat. And man, that is the best, richest milk you can ever enjoy. And then you go, well, I hope my next thing's as big as Batman. And then when it's not, you have to be confronted with the fact that it wasn't you. It was Batman. It will always be Batman. You, whoever you are doing Batman right now, are not bigger than the following. Christopher Nolan. Uh, 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 Michael Keaton. Okay. Uh, Tim Burton. Ben Affleck. These are the heavy hitters. These are the biggest guys. You know, uh, when it comes to the Joker, who is equally as popular, some say more popular. You got Jack Nicholson, obviously. You got Joaquin Phoenix. You got Heath Ledger. You who are doing Batman right now, enjoy it. Enjoy it. But do not let it give you a false sense of success. It's not going to happen. What happened to the image guys came out of nowhere. Came out of absolutely nowhere. And and, and the reason I know this is because I said it. 
and I said it in an interview. And I'm going to go grab that interview right now. And I have that interview in my hands. I have it in my hands and I will read to you what I said because we're going to examine this because boy, oh boy, I found Comics Interview Magazine number 119. It is a doozy. It's got uh, Die Hard in the center, Shadowhawk and Spawn on the left and the right of the cover. It's the kind of the image comics issue. And uh, my interview, in my interview, the guy says, he says to me, were you surprised? He, he asks me if I was surprised at, uh, at the success of Image Comics. And I, I tell him, like, of course we were surprised. And, uh, I mean, amazed, in fact. It says right here, my interviews, interviewer's name on page 22 of Comics Interview number 119. His name's Charles Novinsky, N-O-V-I-N-S-K-I-E. Were you surprised by the success of Image Comics? And it says Rob Liefeld. My answer, absolutely. I was blown away. We were all blown away. We were just a group of friends getting together to form a comic book company to suit our creative needs and desires. We never thought that we would be the number two, comp the number two company and hit that spot twice. It happened again in the month of March. I... This is news to me, but this is again uh, a publication from, uh, is this 1993? I think I am reading to you. Um, yeah, 1993, Comics Interview Magazine, 119. <clears throat> so I am stating how shocked I am that we have had this success. I then continue, I say, I've always wanted to create my own characters, and I could not see myself creating characters for Marvel for the rest of my life, given that the way the company was structured. I sat down and put on paper the minimum amount of sales that I would need to make a living to keep the clothes on my back and the roof over my head. I've covered this in a couple different uh, podcasts that I had I had a great and loving father and he could not believe the success I had achieved at Marvel and millions of dollars and sales that I had been achieving. Because again, guys, those checks for those books were big. Um, did I get a million dollars from drawing comic books? I did. Did I get seven-figure checks? I did. And so... You would also take your kid aside and say, this seems like it's working for you. Like, what are you doing kind of upsetting the apple cart? And I said, dad, I, I'm, I'm overachieving in terms of sales. And on my yellow pad, I thought I would only sell 100,000 copies of Image of Youngblood. But I kept, I would keep everything. And at a dollar book, and I know you are, in 1992, you're going to roll your eyes. But I, so what I'm saying is, X-Force number two sold 1.4 million copies. No bells and whistles. Okay. And we leveled out at a really high number. I am saying that I am going to sell 90% less than X-Force 2. I am not looking at it with big, giant, you know, wishful thinking eyes. Um, I am thinking of it from a practical survival sense. And I go, Rob Liefeld, away from Marvel, and in the, in the DC sense, it would be away from Batman. I will sell 100,000 units, but I'll keep all the money so I'm getting, a, I'm getting a buck a book, so I'll get $100,000 a month, which is less than what I'm making from Marvel, but more than I need, okay? So so at that point, I can still kind of do my own thing. And that's all I want to do is do my own thing. And that's what I'm telling Charles Novinsky here when I'm talking to him. 
He says, what surprised me, this is Charles speaking, what surprised me is the amount of exposure that you have created for yourself in Image Comics. You've been on the Levi's 501 Jeans commercial, The Dennis Miller Show. Most recently, I saw you on a Saturday morning show, Rob. And I said, it is amazing, isn't it? I have to tell you, I'm really excited. I was a question on Double Jeopardy the other night. Laughter, it says. Nothing in my career has excited me in in the manner that did. The fact that I was a question on Jeopardy. It was awesome. He then asked me about the Levi's ad. And then he says, uh, how do you feel Image Comics specifically helped the comics industry? I said, Image has had a high profile. I feel that our press and the media, they're very powerful. And uh, there's nothing that the press can't do. Sometimes won't do. They can make you vote in a certain way for a certain candidate. They can bring a particular subject to the limelight and keep it there. I think Image has made comic books very high profile for the entire industry. This is my words that I'm speaking out. And that is good for the comics industry. When I was a kid, I say, and again, this is 1993. I'm speaking directly out of this interview in 1993. Comics were neither as accessible nor as popular as they are now. I'm not just talking image comics. I'm talking the entire comic book industry. People frown on the collectability aspect of comics and the bagged trading card frenzy that we've been seeing lately. There's both the good and the bad with that. The collector's market has given comics more exposure. That's good. But getting back to what Image has done for comics, I will say that by saying goodbye to corporate comics and forming our own label, that we opened a door. I was reading about this year's Oscar show and how this, this year is the year for the independent and the studios were left out in the cold in regards to nominations in top categories. I'm seeing that happening more in the mainstream. Comic books in regards to Image, Valiant, or Dark Horse. So, you guys were there for that ride. You guys were there for that ride. And, uh, you know, it's... Um, the... the uh, it's, 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 it's interesting. Woo, man, this is loaded. I talk about how I was not happy with the scripting on X-Force. And how the scripting on the book changed the direction of my plots and so leaving marvel i was looking forward to um doing this all myself he asks me in this interview and we're going to continue because there's interviews with everybody in here we'll, we'll examine this in the next episode uh he asked me this is 1993 he says do you see yourself as an artist first or as a writer artist i said i'm a creator artist that's what i am I have no opposition and am happy to have people script over my work. Some of this stuff that I said 29 years ago in this interview is the stuff that I still say today. Again, I'm bringing the receipts. I'm showing you who I am back then is the same guy I was in today. Who I was back then is who I am today. And Image Comics was a special time. It was a giant wave in the 90s. And the characters of the 90s are thriving and the appetite is there and I know that you will be there. I absolutely know that you and you're going to bring your kids and it's going to be insane and there's more to come and I promise you that. And we're going to pick up on more of the 90 strike back strikes back cuz I'm going to dig deeper into these interviews. This comics interview has Todd, it has Jim Valentino, it has Eric Larson. And so we're going to do a, a, another section here 
and dig deeper into this because the Image 30th anniversary is coming. We are going to celebrate it. You guys did not see the profit announcement coming last week, but again, it stands alongside two successful Venom movies, two successful Deadpool movies, Carnage, X-Force, all of these giant 90s concepts. You could say like the Netflix shows at Marvel World 70s because uh, Luke Cage was born in the 70s. The Defenders were born in the 70s. Uh, Daredevil came out of his... Uh, Frank Miller got on the book in the 70s and then in 1979 and then burst into it early in the early 80s. I mean, Elektra is 1980, early 1980. Uh, you know, Iron Fist, a 1970s character. That, 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 those characters all coalesced around a certain time. That's kind of... When I see that Netflix grouping of shows, I always think they are the superstars of the 1970s and, and I enjoyed them. I enjoyed Luke Cage. I thought... I think the two... All three seasons of Daredevil are fantastic. I, 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 it bums me that they're not going to be folded into canon, but we'll see. This last year, Black Widow, Shang-Chi, The Eternals, as I've told you guys, these are all products of the 1970s. The 90s, you guys are of the age. You are of the age. The old end of the Eternals fan base is in the 60s and 70s. The young end of the 90s is in the mid-30s. And the old end is in the 40s. You guys are in your prime buying power. You guys, I've seen what you chase. I've seen what you consume. I see what you love. And what you love is what you loved as a kid. Because what you loved as a kid, it touched you, it moved you, you love forever. I am the living, breathing embodiment of this. So there is way more to say on this. And we're going to get to that in another segment. And um, But but we, we, we have, that is that is the preface. That is the setting the table. The 30th year is coming. The 90s are that hot breath on the back of your neck. You're about to get the biggest dose. We're coming out of the 30th year of Deadpool and X-Force. I have a 30th anniversary X-Force issue coming to you in November that I I have shown you very little of because I want you to experience it the way you experience so many of my comics by picking it up and being blown away and seeing it for the first time in the store. Marvel's doing a great job promoting it. I've done these 30 covers this year. We are really in the throes of the beginning of this 90s celebration, and it's going to kick off huge next year. This image comics movement, these characters, you love the characters, you love the creators, you're going to get them in spades, and we are looking forward to sharing that and breaking bread with that with you and enjoying it. And again, look back to the morning show. Jennifer Aniston, back in a giant vehicle, a 90s star. In the show, she's kind of an old relic but she is in fact a 90s superstar now put back into a spotlight on this 2021 show and they're saying the advertisers, the eyeballs are there. A little bit ironic. I think Alanis Morissette said it the best. Thank you guys, as always, for listening to the show, for supporting the show, for um, spreading all the great word of mouth. At the end of every show, I read your reviews. I read the great um, reviews, and we need them, guys. We need your reviews. We need your rankings. We need your subscriptions, your word of mouth. Thank you. I will continue to do this show for as long as you guys give it your um, um, uh, uh, approval, your enthusiasm, and your passion. And thank you so much for sharing it and for, um, for, for, for sharing your passion with this show with so, so, so many others. We have a couple of great new, um, um, uh, reviews. You guys have just been crushing me with all of these great reviews. I'm going to read right now from Guillermo Carlos. Guillermo Carlos. Rob, I am completely addicted to your podcast. 
The, the title of this is Amazing Podcast, five stars. Thank you, Guillermo Carlos132. Rob, I am completely addicted to your podcast. After finding it, I have listened to as many as 20 episodes in a week. Always entertaining, always exciting, always tons of great information. You are fantastic. Keep up the great work. Never stop. Let the Bronco buck. You know you want to see that. You know you want to hear that. This is what he says. He just said, let the Bronco buck, but I know that Guillermo wants to hear it in the voice that it was said to me. Let the Bronco buck! Let him buck already! Let the Bronco buck! A statement said to me by the esteemed Mr. Todd McFarlane. He says, have a great day. Thank you, Guillermo Carlos 132. Thank you for that very kind sentiment. This gentleman, Jeres Presso, J-E-R-E-S-P-R-E-S-S-O, said the title of his Review is Comics Enjoy. This is not just for fans of Rob's comics. This is the best podcast for anyone looking for bright, shining enthusiasm during tough times. Liefeld brings out the very best in the comic book history, in comic book history, and inspires me week in and week out. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Jerris Presso. Thank you for that. Thank you, guys. I read your reviews at the end of every show. We need you guys. We need you to write reviews, give us rankings, support this show in the manner that only you can and have, and I hope you continue. Uh, you will continue to do that. I am all over social media. I am on Twitter, at Robert Liefeld. You got to do the whole thing, at Robert Liefeld. I got a blue check. That's really me. I'm at Rob Liefeld on Instagram. That also has a blue check. That's really me. I'm all over Facebook. I love reading you guys in the comments, in the DMs, um, uh, your tweets. I love sharing ideas and passion and discourse. And I thank you so much for being a part of the show and talking to me and, and spreading your love and enthusiasm online. Thank you again. This is the time of the show where you tell me that you're going to take care of yourself. And I believe it. And you need to. Okay? We all do. And you are going to stay safe. And we are most definitely going to talk again.